Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We'll move Hebrews there. So Hebrews, chapter 11. And uh, as you're turning there, I do want to say what a great time of worship. Um, it was just for a time. Seeing uh, again this morning uh, some that are uh, away from us for a time. Uh, it was great having Stephanie with us, joining the praise team again uh, for this morning. And then, uh, it's all right, a little applause. We'll get better next time. Um, it was great having, uh, well, no, it's, it's, it's over, guys. It's, it's done. I'm sorry. Next time. Next time. Okay, so um, I love their, like, enthusiasm. They're like, we're going to get the clapping going. No. Um, so it was great, obviously, to have Allie with us. Be in prayer for Allie as she travels down to Kansas City, Missouri, here, coming up here. And so praying for her as she continues on in her uh, adventure, if you will. And uh, so praying for her. But I also got to say, um, more than anything else this morning, something that really just kind of spoke to me had to be Alan Corbett's bow tie. Like, where is he? Is he still in here? Did he go to the restroom? That thing, is that lit up? Is it actually light? I thought I saw it flashing earlier. Yes. Okay. That was like awesome. I don't know. And then the socks too. Like he had the socks and the bow tie going. So I'm going to have to get with him. He's going to have to coordinate some outfits here or something. That was pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, no, it was a great time of worship, and I do pray uh, that sometimes we go through weeks and we go through things, uh, it's so great to just come into the house of the Lord and just to remind ourselves of all the things that we have through salvation, um, that, he, that you have a story to tell, and your story is not about you much as it's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life and how he has saved you from your sins and set you on a road for heaven, and we can praise him for that this morning. Uh, we can pray that we are more, praise and that we are more than conquerors. I mean, so many great truths that, that he will never leave us. He will never run away from you. Some of you have had experiences where people have left you or run away or left you feeling abandoned, maybe as a child or maybe as an adult. And those things can really wound us and scar us. But Christ will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so when we worship this morning, I pray that it wasn't just singing some words up on a screen. I pray it wasn't just listening to the music part of it. I pray that it was actually you engaging the worship. Because isn't it tempting sometimes to come into church and just kind of just take part of the worship but not really engage the worship, not really get involved in the worship? We kind of sing the words and we kind of go through the motions. But I want to encourage you as you begin this new year, endeavor that every single time that you are in his presence, that you will make a point. Say, I'm going to engage my Savior today whether it's in a private, quiet time in your own personal prayer closet or whether it's in, in the house of God as we gather together to worship as the body of Christ. We are not just here to learn about a religion. We're not here to learn about some things that Jesus did a long time ago. We're here to understand who our God is today and who your Savior is today. And so I encourage you, engage the worship this morning, not just in the singing of songs and in the giving of an offering, but I pray that you would understand that even the teaching and preaching and the reading of his word is worship this morning. And so I pray that you would allow your heart to be lifted. I know my heart's been encouraged already this morning. Uh, just a great time of celebration of all the things Christ has done for us. But I pray as we go through the message today that you will allow him to continue to speak to you and challenge you and encourage you in what he has for you. As we look forward to 2018, there are many challenges that lie ahead for you and I. I think we are all wise enough to know that that's just reality. Many of us see a difference, or want to see rather, a difference in our lives. We want to see a difference in our homes. 
We want to see things to be different in our health. I can testify to that one. Maybe cut back on the hot dogs a little bit. Anyone else? Cut back on the soda a little bit. Someone said, why don't you just give up drinking soda? And I laughed and I laughed. I said, I'll tell you what I will do. And Sandra and I are kind of, she's trying to keep me accountable, but she's got a lot of work ahead of her. I said, I'll cut back on the soda is what we'll do. So I think it was the other day I, I uh, opened a, a can of Pepsi, and she just gave me this look. I was like, it's only the second one today. I'm doing so much better than normal. Like, just leave me alone, man. Okay, no. No, but we do. We, we, we begin this year, and we want to see some differences in our lives. Anyone want to see anything different in a relationship? in a friendship, in a, in a situation like that. We all have these things that we begin the new year with. And, and while a new year does not change the circumstance, it gives us a symbol of starting fresh and anew. New year, listen, when the calendar turned over from December 31st to January 1st, your circumstances didn't magically up and change. Nothing mystical took place where now everything is better because, oh, it's a new year. Now, I saw tons of people on Facebook saying, you know, I can't wait for this year to be over and start the new year. But there's a key in this. If you're not willing to make some changes, nothing will change. Right? We can't just hope, okay, it's 2018, now everything's going to magically be better. I'm not going to do anything different. I'm not going to seek the Lord differently. I'm not going to pray differently. I'm not going to honor Him differently. I'm just going to kind of keep doing what I've always been doing, and everything will magically get better. That's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, and it doesn't work. So while the new year doesn't necessarily change anything, it gives us a symbol, right? An illustration of this starting fresh, which, by the way, can we just take a second and praise him that every single morning his mercies are new for you? That every single morning can be a new beginning for you? You can start afresh every single morning? He tells us that in his word, he says, listen, when you come to me and you just lay it out there, I will start afresh. Now, it's not so much that he changes everything he has been doing, but isn't it amazing how the Lord will just give you a little bit more of this and build a little bit on that stone and, and build a little bit over here, and all of a sudden, at the end of a couple of years, you realize, man, I don't even think like I used to think. I don't act like I used to act. It's like little by little, he's been shaping me, informing me, almost as though he is this, this potter sitting at a clay wheel, and you're this lump of clay, and he's forming you and shaping you, and you have no idea what the outcome is going to be, but he has this beautiful picture in mind. It's the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's shaping you and molding you. But listen, sometimes he has to remove some things. And doesn't it hurt when he removes some things? Man, sometimes it hurts. We look back and we go, thank you for taking that away because I didn't need it anyway. But in the moment, you don't realize that, right? In the moment, you're thinking, why would you do that to me? Why would you take that relationship? Or why would you take that person? Or why would you? And we have to trust and say, God, you are the potter and I am the clay. We find this beautiful picture in the book of Romans, by the way. Paul says, who, could I, or who am I that I could ask anything of the potter when he is the great potter? He is the one shaping me. I'm just a lump of clay. But see, the opposite isn't true either. We're not so invaluable that, that he doesn't look at us with any value or worth. No, no, no. He values you so much, he's willing to put his hands on and shape you and form you. If you meant nothing to him, he would just throw you to the side and wouldn't even invest in you. But it says a lot for his love for you, his grace and his strength towards you, that he would even invest in you. And how does he do that? How does he invest in us? By the working of his Holy Spirit. As he begins to shape us and form us, he prompts us. 
And so this morning, as we're talking about starting afresh and starting anew, and, and honestly, really, the title of the message is, let's just get started. Let's get started. I want us to think about this idea of a new beginning, a new start. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, and I'm not going to hold you accountable six months from now, this is just for illustration purposes, and so don't, don't be afraid. We're not going to take a picture and find out if you really kept to it. But how many of you made any form of resolution or goals this new year? You set a new goal or a goal for yourself. Resolution, goal, whatever you call it. Raise your hand nice and high. Okay, look around. Everyone look around. Not bad. Not bad. Okay. It's interesting to see how many people actually don't make resolutions in comparison to those that do. Some of us make goals and resolutions, and then we, what ends up happening? We don't, we don't follow through with them. I just saw a commercial. You guys ever see the Mayhem commercials? I forget the insurance company that does it. Allstate, thank you. Someone else that watches a lot of TV, amen. Um, kindred spirits there. Um, so the Allstate commercial, this guy's mayhem, right? He's always doing this crazy stuff to cause all this damage. Well, they got a new whole line of advertising. Have you guys seen this? Where he made a resolution to be helpful and to be like, uh, you know, to be safety oriented. And he's a road flare. And the guy looks over and he's like, so what are you going to do? You're set something on fire? You're going to blow something up? What's going on? He said, nope, I've turned over a new leaf. Then the commercial ends and it says, resolutions are meant to be broken. Like that's what it says in the commercial. And I was sitting there and I was like, Oh, sweet. Where's my Mountain Dew? Like, I'm good. I can give me a 12 pack right now. Let's go. Right? Get the 44 ounce because, I mean, why not? Right? I mean, if you can go 44, go 44. Um, I, I thought about that. I thought, oh, my goodness, that's so how we are. We think resolutions and goals and these things we set, we kind of set them, and then we kind of this back of our mind thought that, well, I'll just quit if it gets too hard. I was reading, and I heard some things about, uh, resolutions I wanted to kind of share with you guys. I found them kind of amusing. Uh, some things that I've heard and read over the last couple of weeks here. One person said, I can't believe it's been a whole year since I didn't become a better person. <laughs> been there. One guy said it this way, I'm going to work out every day. I'm not going to ask any men in here to raise their hand and say I've made that foolish, I mean, fruitful decision, right? I'm going to work out every single day. Or at least briefly consider it. Briefly consider it every day. Maybe this one will resonate with you. One guy said it this way. My resolution for 2018 is to accomplish all the goals I didn't accomplish in 2017. Which I should have done in 2016 because I actually set them in 2015. We've never been in this boat, right? We have no idea what they're talking about when people say things like this. For these reasons and, and more, apparently many people don't set resolutions or goals. But another reason, maybe the reason, as Psychology Today reported this a couple years ago, I found this kind of interesting, that one of the reasons that people will not set goals or resolutions is because they are extremely fearful of failing. And so the mindset is this. If we set a goal and don't reach it, we know we failed. But could it be that it's better to set goals, strive, and come ever so close to reaching them than to set no goals and achieve that every single time? I had a professor in college who always said, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. Listen, I know failure is scary, but it's so much better to set the goal 
for whatever God is leading you to do. And I'm not talking just about health and wellness, which is part of it. I'm not talking about just financial security or job security or all those things. I'm talking deeper than that. Let's go even deeper than those things and say, listen, at the core of those things, true change starts with Christ and Christ alone. You want to get healthy? You got to start with your spiritual life. You want to have wisdom in your finances? It starts with your spiritual life. You want to have a better home, a peaceful environment in your home, a peaceful relationship between you and your wife or you and your kids or you and your neighbors? It all begins and ends with Christ. Every Tuesday night, we meet here at 7 o'clock for our recovery ministry. And one of the things we talk about every single Tuesday night is that we are not going to give you strategies and tips and things to try to beat your addiction, whatever it may be. And by the way, those come in all shapes and sizes. Hello, Mountain Dew, right? And we joke about that. But listen, it's serious. Addictions come in every shape and size. Some of you can't be on Facebook because it's an addiction for you. And you'll spend hours and hours and hours and hours, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait, where did time go? You wake up in the morning, and the first thing you have to do is check your phone. Does anyone notify me? This is what's that's, you got to be careful there. And so we talk about every Tuesday night, listen, whatever it is, whatever the struggle is or whatever it is that you're battling with, maybe you have a family member that's battling with addiction in some way, we never start with the addiction or start with the issue. We always start with the spiritual root of those things. Now, where's your walk with Christ right now? Where's that person's walk with Christ? Are we praying for them? Are we asking God to do the work that only God can do in their lives? Because listen, we can do all the things on the outside. We can change behavior. We can look really, really good for six to eight weeks. And then all of a sudden we realize we weren't really doing it for the Lord. We weren't really doing it for, for ourselves. We were just doing it to make other people happy. And next thing you know, we give up, we quit, we feel defeated. And then we go a whole other six, eight, 10, 12 months. And then we get emotional and we decide, you know what, no, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And we never encourage the Lord. And then, here's the thing, even when you ask the Lord to help, guess what? It's still going to be difficult. So what do you do? You don't quit. You just keep pushing forward. And maybe you won't hit your goal that you set this year. But maybe you'll get really, really close. And that's so much better than setting a goal at nothing and hitting it. And feeling empty and defeated. And so this morning, I want to talk about this idea of getting started, this idea of, of starting fresh in 2018, not so much with the surface things or the things that maybe you might think of, but I'm going to start at the root of it, with our relationship with Jesus Christ and starting at the core of those things. I want to begin with a look at the testimony of Moses and see how he was able to accomplish so much for God's glory and ask the question of what can we learn from his life. You guys have handout, a handout there in your bulletin. I just encourage you to take some notes, jot some things down so you can go back and read these things later, study these things in greater context. Listen, here's the truth of it. I don't have all the answers, and we don't have a whole lot of time. And so I encourage you, spend some time every day walking through the Word of God for yourself and just discovering who Jesus is for you and who He wants you to be for Him. And so if you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24... Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. Listen to what the Word of God says here. By faith, Moses, and this is during what we call the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame, okay? Uh, all these different individuals. I love that it begins with by faith, by faith, by faith, and all these different characters' lives in the, in the Word of God. Because it wasn't so much about Moses, but about Moses' what? It's faith. He put faith, by faith. Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's command. 
By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a a season. When you go down, look at verse... um, Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he entered as seeing him who is, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I want to open in prayer and ask, man, this is an amazing testimony of the person of Moses and his life and what he accomplished for God's glory. But I want to tell you that this is where he ended up. This isn't where he started. I think sometimes we've got to remind ourselves when we read these character studies, we've got to remember, this is where they ended up. They didn't all start this way. Some started really strong in their faith and then weaned in their faith and then kind of got weary and drifted. Some began so far from what you'd call faithful. You read up a little bit, you're going to read about somebody named Rahab. But you're going to find out they ended faithful. And so I'm going to walk through this this morning. We're going to go all the way back to Exodus in just a moment here and look at the life of Moses and talk about some things. But I want to just have a moment of prayer And I want to ask that God would just speak to us in this idea of new beginnings and a fresh start and ask what is it that you are going to allow him to have control over this year? You know, not even this year, today. What are you going to finally give him control over with today? Say, it's yours. I'm tired of holding on to it. I'm tired of trying to do it myself. It's all yours. Is it a relationship? Is it your health? Is it a family member? Is it a friend, somebody that doesn't know Christ? You've tried to manipulate it and fix it and figure it out, and it's just not working. So you're just going to say, here, Lord, it's just, I'm just finally going to give it to you, and then you do what you want with it. So we're going to do that. Let's just pray and ask God to move in that way as we continue through this service this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you in our lives. Father, every moment of every day we could say that. Every moment of every day we could cry out to you and talk about our need for you to rely on you, to trust in you more. And Father, I pray that those aren't just words that we say because we're at church. Just a prayer that we pray when we're at church. But it's truly the cry of our heart. It's truly the cry of those of us that know you as Savior. That we desire desperately. I'm talking as a man in the middle of the desert with nothing to drink. We are just so thirsty. We're so thirsty for you. And we've, we've tried drinking the muddy water of this world. We've tried drinking the muddy water of our careers And we think that's going to satisfy us, and it doesn't do anything. But when we come to you, the well that will never run dry, that you said in John chapter 4, that anyone who drinks of you will never thirst again. And so I think that as a follower of Christ, when I start feeling thirsty, it's not so much because you are no longer satisfying, it's because I'm trying to get satisfied somewhere else. It's because I'm looking to other things to satisfy me. And I pray that I would just desperately long for you and all that you have for me. Father, as we talk about starting afresh, I pray that this wouldn't just be a New Year's thing, but this would be an everyday thing, that every morning we would desire to start fresh. Because I believe that we need to be growing consistently in you. Now, Lord, if we're being honest, there are seasons in our lives where we don't necessarily hear from you like we want. It seems as though times you're going silent. And I pray that we wouldn't allow that to distract us or discourage us because it doesn't mean you're still not working in our lives. It just means you're working in a way that we don't understand. And so I pray that we would be very careful how we define these ideas of you starting fresh in our lives or doing something new in our lives because sometimes we can get so desperate for a new thing that we forget all about the ways you've already worked. 
And so, Father, I pray you'd give us great wisdom from your Holy Spirit how to discern these things in our lives, that we could glorify you and see others come to know you as Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this is where Moses ended up, but not where he began. Many of us know the story of Moses, uh, so we're not going to go super in detail. Uh, he was obviously born, and at the time when he was born, there was a decree to basically kill all the male sons. You know, these sons were going to be um, killed by the Pharaoh to limit the population of the Israelites. They realized uh, as these slaves, these Israelites were getting greater in number. The Egyptians were realizing if they wanted to, they could just overrun us. And so to avoid that, we're just going to take from their newborn. We're going to eliminate some of the population. So Moses' mother hid Moses for some time. And then ends up, she, he ends up finding his way into Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh's daughter ends up raising Pharaoh, uh, or ends up raising Moses in Pharaoh's court. He becomes very uh, successful in that regard. There's a point where uh, somebody is beating a Hebrew slave, uh, a slave master, and Moses kills that person, buries him in the sand, the Bible says, and then he flees into the wilderness. This is not the beginning of a great story for someone that's going to be used by God to change the Israelites' history. But this is exactly who God chooses to do what God needs him to do. And so as we think about that, we think about all the things that Moses had to go through. I want to walk through this and see how do we see God do something different in our lives in 2018, differently than 2017. You see, the key is that Moses got started with what God called him to do. And we all understand a very simple truth. You will never accomplish your goal if you never start. Let me say that again. I want you guys to think through this and really maybe jot this down on your notes there. Because it's so important to understand this. You will never accomplish your goal if you never start. And I know that's pretty profound, right? Like that was, that's deep stuff. So wait, so wait, hang on. So, so if I want to accomplish that goal, I have to actually start working towards that goal? Like that's crazy. That's insane. I know, it's that deep. It's that hard to fathom. Or maybe it's so simple and it's so obvious that we miss it all the time. We all have goals that we want to accomplish for Christ, for our families, for our friends, for our lives. But many of us allow the, fail, the possibility of failure to eliminate the, even the idea of starting. And so how do we mimic Moses? How do we copy Moses' example in a way of seeing how God can work in our lives? Go back to Exodus chapter 3, all the way back to the Old Testament if you're having a hard time finding it, go to Genesis, first book of the Bible. Go a few pages over, and you'll find Exodus. If you want to start at the other end, you can start at Revelation. But it's just going to take you a little longer. So you're welcome to do that. If you like a challenge, feel free. Now, I am so thankful you have your Bibles with you, whether on a device or whether you have a paper Bible in front of you. Uh, let me just say this again. We say it all the time. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one at the Welcome Center. You can pick one up. We'd love to put it in your hands. Um, if you came to hear my ideas and my opinions, you're going to be se severely disappointed. Um, but if you came to hear from the Word of God, I believe you'll be fulfilled and satisfied when you leave here today. And so let's look into the Word of God and see where we need to start. And number one is simply start where you are. So if you're taking notes, number one in your notes, start where you are. Exodus 3 in verse 11. This is the beginning of Moses being called by God. And listen to verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I 
that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 12. And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you, that I have sent you. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. You see, starting where you are is not as difficult as you think it is. God is calling Moses to action now. So that's in your notes, I believe, as well. God is calling Moses to action now. God doesn't give Moses a 16-week course on geopolitical science and relationships. He doesn't make him read the book, Ways to Influence People. He simply calls Moses to go to Pharaoh because he is asking him to. And isn't this like us, that we tend to instantly feel inadequate, insufficient, to do whatever God is calling us to do. But there's a line in here that I think is so important that we'll get to in just a moment. Because I believe it's an easy trap for us to fall into, that we think the sins of our past make us unusable to the Lord. The truth is, when we surrender our faults to him, repent from those things, he can and will use us for his glory. This is the truth of what we see in the life of Moses. Because Moses asks a question that I think all of us would ask. Moses asks an honest question. Who am I? Can I just ask you a question? Has anyone ever asked the Lord that question and just doubt when he calls you? God, who am I that you would call me? Anybody ever been there in your Christian life? Raise your hand. Lord, who am I that you would call me? Why do we do that? Why do we think those things? Because we instantly think what? When he's calling me, we are aware of what? Our faults. Our inabilities, our lack of talent, our lack of biblical knowledge. I remember talking to somebody. They were so excited to go to Bible college. And then they actually said this. I think I'm going to wait to go to Bible college. And I said, why would you wait? Man, you feel like God is calling you to do this thing. Just go. And he said, well, I don't know a lot about the Bible. So I want to wait till I know more about the Bible to go to Bible college. I'm not the brightest guy in the world. I'm really not. But I think if I want to know more about the Bible, I should probably go to a place that teaches me the Bible five days a week, seven hours a day. I probably would learn more about the Bible. But what was he saying? Why would he say something like that? Because he knew he's going to be sitting in those Bible classes, and here's all these kids that know way more about the Bible than he does. And when they start having discussion, and somebody says, hey, what does this mean? And he's unable to answer, what is that? That's embarrassment and fear. Because I'm not good enough. I don't know everything like you do. How about when God calls you to sing or do a special? And you think, man, I'm not singing. I'm not, I mean, I'm okay, but I can't sing like so-and-so, right? Now we automatically understand or we start to prop up our, our inabilities. I mean, when Ali sang this morning, some of you were like, I am not singing today. Like, I'm not following that. That's not going to happen, right? As one of the praise band singers says, amen, right? Now we can do that, though. We start thinking, oh, man, if I, if I was just like them, if I was perfect like them, Right? I've said this so many times, but it's so true. When you take what you know about yourself, which is everything, and compare it to what you know about somebody else, which is very little, you will lose every single time. And you will always come out feeling like you're less than them because you don't know anything about them, really. Moses here asks a question that we would all ask, and we've all asked. And I listen, I appreciate his honesty, his humility. He says, who am I? It is easy for us to ask God in a moment of inadequacy, who am I? But we cannot stay there. Here's the key. There's one thing about saying to God, who am I? Having a discussion with him through the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And then realizing, okay, I need to believe who God says that I am. But some of us, we say, who am I? And then we stay in that place. 
never allowing God the freedom to move us into what he would have for us. We must realize that in Christ we are his. Yes, we need to be humble, but also we need to listen to his answer to our question when we ask, who are we? When Isaiah saw the throne of the Lord, he was filled with fear and realized his sin, cried out and said, I am an unclean man with unclean lips, and I live in an unclean people. That's a lot of uncleanness, right? I mean, like when you're God and Isaiah is there, he's like, look, I'm not only unclean, my lips are unclean, and everybody around me is unclean. What's Isaiah really asking or saying to the Lord? Who am I? Who am I that you would even allow me to see your throne? I'm a wicked, horrible, wretched sinner. And see, isn't it amazing? Whenever we're exposed to the truth of the word of God, our sin becomes apparent. That whenever we read the word of God, all of a sudden we're convicted of our sin. It's as though we understand instantly he is holy and we are not. And can I tell you this? It's completely okay to acknowledge that. Because the minute you make that step of acknowledging that he is holy and you are not, man, salvation, the grace that he extended to you, takes on a whole new life. Because you realize even when you were a sinner, an enemy of God, the Bible says, he still came and he still loved you enough to die for you on a cross. And that's when salvation takes on a whole new life. But when you start thinking that I'm not that bad of a person, I'm kind of okay, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, because that works with God. Compare yourself to other imperfect people and you'll win every time, right? That's what God wants you to do. But man, when we realize, God, who am I? I am unclean. But do you know what God did for Isaiah when he was honest about his sin, about his uncleanness? He cleansed him. He cleansed him. He took a coal from the altar and he put it on his lips, purifying Isaiah for purpose and for work. And the minute that happens, I love this, because the minute that happens, God cries out and says, I need someone to go. I need someone to go. When the Lord called for someone to step up, Isaiah said boldly, here am I, Lord, send me. You see, Isaiah didn't gain confidence in himself, but in the act of forgiveness expressed to him by his God. Same as with Moses. Wasn't that Moses got more self-esteem and more self-worth? He realized, no, 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 my God has cleansed me, therefore I am now usable. We too must have confidence in the act of forgiveness by the cross to allow us to move from who am I to here am I. You see, we start right where we are. We start right where we are, and we're okay with that. We're okay with that because we realize if I start right where I am with him, it's so much better than staying where I am and not allowing him to work in my life. So we start right where we are. Number two. And quickly, for time's sake, Isaiah, or Exodus chapter 4, look at verses 1 and 2. Not only do you start right where you are, but you use what you have. You use what you have. And Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me. You see how he's still dealing with the who am I question? You guys with me so far? He's not at the here I am time, he's at the who am I time. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, Isn't it amazing how we become like God or try to be like God when we're trying to argue with God about what isn't going to work? Who's the sovereign one? Who's the one that knows all of time at once, God or Moses? Okay, it's not a trick question. It's an easy one. Okay, God. What is Moses claiming here, though, when he's saying all this? He's claiming to God, I actually know 
more than you. I know what's going to happen. Look what it says. They will not believe me. He's saying, I know what's going to happen, and they're not going to believe me. They're not going to hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Man, listen, when God is calling you to something that you don't understand, stop trying to debate with God and argue with God about the outcome because he knows the outcome. And you're grasping with fear and anxiety and all these other things, and you think it's not going to work. You have no idea what God is going to do. Number two, or verse two. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Now, I love, this is one of my favorite parts of the story of Moses. I love this part of Moses' life. Because God doesn't ask Moses what is in their hand, the ones that won't believe, but what is in Moses' hand. See, the answer that Moses gives is a rod or a staff. This is used for herding sheep. It's a simple tool that was so common, Moses may have thought, isn't it obvious what's in my hand? I mean, what do you mean? God, you're the sovereign creator of all things, and you're going to ask me what's in my hand? It's a rod. Like, don't say this to God, but, I mean, sometimes you just kind of are tempted to be like, duh, right? Like, I mean, it's a rod. Like, I mean, what do you, it's a rod. I mean, what do you want to do with this thing? I don't understand. Why is this thing important? doesn't even matter. And do you notice how God doesn't really necessarily answer his question, but just kind of jumps to an illustration? Because Moses says, oh, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. And he says, what's in your hand? He doesn't say, oh, Moses, be calm. I'm going to use you to do great things. Moses, they will believe you. He doesn't give any kind of affirmation like that at first. He just says, Moses, what's in your hand? And I love this about our God because sometimes when we're having our little pity parties, right? I can raise my hand. I'm pretty good at pity parties, right? I don't always outwardly do them, but in my head, I'm the king of pity parties, right? Anybody else a pity party champion like me? You good at pity parties? All right. He doesn't get to that. He doesn't come down to Moses' level and say, okay, Moses, let me coddle you. It's okay, right? Safe space, safe space, okay? He doesn't do that. Sorry, that was, that might have been a little far. Mm, just a snitch too much. Got to learn to pull that in a little bit. He says, what's in your hand? He's getting, he wants his mind focused. And I love that Moses just calmly answers, it's obviously a staff or a rod. It even the most ordinary things become extraordinary when it is surrendered to the Lord. That's true of us as well, as human beings. The most ordinary things. I'm the most ordinary thing you can meet. The most ordinary things can be used by God to do what he wants to do when it's what? Surrendered to him. The passage goes on in verse 3. We're not going to read all of this, but it's just pretty crazy what God does. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. I like Moses here. Because I'm kind of scared of snakes too. Like if it was a snake, I'd be like, ah. Like I'd be like, what's going on? Okay. Okay, I wouldn't do that out loud. I do that for you guys, but... I'm just telling you what's in my head, okay? Like, outside I'm going to be like, oh, snake? That's nothing. Inside I'm like, please go away, okay? You can laugh. You're all there too. Don't worry about it. So Moses fled from it. And I love this because Moses was a great warrior, a great champion, and he was scared of snakes. So we're cool with that. Look what it goes to say here in verse 4. And, put for, and the Lord said to Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it. That, that's where I'm like, mm, I don't know about that one. 
and it became a rod in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thy hand into thy bosom, meaning put it into like his coat. Okay, put it into your jacket. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, there was the hand was leprous as snow. It was just covered in leprosy. Then, look what he's going to say. He doesn't leave him that way. Verse 7, and he said, put thy hand into thy bosom again. He put it in his coat, and he pulled his hand from his bosom again, and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as the, uh, his other flesh. You see here, we got to notice the act of faith by Moses in the little things. You see, Moses was told by the Lord, or asked by the Lord, cast down the rod. Put your hand in your coat. Moses doesn't ask why. He just does it in simple obedience. You see, God is building his faith with simple steps. God is building the faith of Moses with simple steps. God shows Moses that it's not up to him to make those people believe that he said won't believe, but to just be faithful with what he has already been given. As a result, there will be those that believe because of the actions God does and performs through Moses. And honestly, I love that God doesn't just tell him what he can do up front. He shows him. Here's why I say that. He doesn't tell Moses, Moses, throw your rod on the ground. I'm going to turn it into a serpent. doesn't do that. He says, Moses, throw the rod down. He doesn't say, Moses, put your hand inside your coat and watch me change your very flesh. No, he just put your hand in your coat. And isn't that our God? Sometimes he just says, would you just step out? Would you just step out? And here's why this is crucial. Fast forward a few years. Fast forward some time. And there's going to be a scene where Moses is standing on the bank of the Jordan. And they're getting ready to cross over into the Holy Land. Why? Because Moses demonstrated faith after faith after faith after faith. Now we know the story. Moses kind of messed up, right? And God says, you're not going to be able to lead him in, but I'll let you see it. I'll let you see it. Man, aren't you so thankful that God just asks us to do simple things? And we don't need the whole story. And sometimes it's better we don't. Because then when he asks us six months from now to just do this one thing, we won't go, well, why? Why do you want me to do that? What are you going to do with it? What's going to happen? We just simply say, no, no, no. I trusted him before, and he showed me he was powerful. I'll just keep trusting him. I don't need to know. Isn't it amazing when when they walked over on dry ground, left Egypt and walked through on dry ground, and the water split before them? When you read it, do you know when the water started splitting? When they stepped out. God says, Moses, trust me on this one. Do this. And Moses did exactly what he was asked to do, and the waters parted. Why? Because his faith was built up in the little things. And I truly believe that when we surrender what we have, so what do you have in your hand? It's not a maybe a rod like a staff or a, a hook to herd sheep. But what we do have is our time. We have our talents. We have our resources. We have our strengths. We have what we have, not what someone else has, but what we have. When we surrender those things to the Lord, he will use those things to show others who he really is and in doing so bring glory to himself. And so the question I have to ask you is, and I believe there's even an area in your notes for this, what do you have in your hand. What can you surrender as you get started? What do you have in your hand? It might seem so simple to you. It might seem so ordinary and so basic. 
Maybe you feel like, who am I? Let me encourage you. Stop asking, who am I? And just start faithfully saying, here am I. I'll go. Man, I don't care what anyone else is doing. You ever notice in these situations, it's not so much what everyone else is doing. It's what we do that matters to God. What are we going to surrender? How are we going to step out? So many of us are like, well, if they would step out, then I would step out. How is that faith? Man, I want to step out first. Not so that people can go, oh, man, look at his faith. But they'll say, oh, man, look at his God. Man, I want to see God do great things. And it starts with the little things. It starts with the little things that we do. So how do we get started? Well, we start right where we are. We use what we have. And number three, and finally, you do what you can do. You do what you can do. Look at verses 10 and 12 of Exodus chapter 4. And Moses, verse 10, said unto the Lord, uh, and Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither, her, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who hath maketh the dumb and, or deaf, or the see, seeing or the blind, have not I the Lord? This to me is an amazing moment of still kind of Moses struggling. Look at verse 12. Now therefore go, and I will be with thee, or I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. See, this is kind of where Moses and God are kind of coming to a, a head. They're coming to a breaking point here. Now go, Moses, is what Moses is called to do. You see, God called Moses to do what only Moses could do. Do what you can. Go fill in the gaps where you can fill in the gaps, God tells Moses. It's no big deal, God tells him. I'll teach you along the way. Did you catch that? Did you catch what he says there? He doesn't say, I'm going to make you as equipped as possible so that before you ever step foot toward Egypt, you will know everything you need to know. He says, no, no, no. I am going to teach you when you go, not before you go. Many of us sit there thinking we need to be more educated before we go. And many of us, this is a truth that we need to hear in the American church. Many of us are educated far beyond our level of obedience. Man, if I just knew more, if I just did this, if I just did that, and we sit there in disobedience, and God is saying, would you just go? I will teach you what you need to know on the way. Now, I'm not saying we can't be prepared and study and prepare, but I'm saying we don't do that in spite of obedience or, or in lack of obedience. We obey as we're learning, as we're growing. You see, to me, Moses had all the excuses to not go. And this is where it's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a tension between God and Moses, to be honest. I would not be as faithful or as patient as God is here. Like, I feel like the third excuse, don't you just want to kind of shake Moses a little bit? Like, okay, dude, your rod just became a snake in front of you. And you touched it, and it became a rod again. And you're going to argue with that God and say, but I can't speak well? He just turned a stick into a snake. Like, really? That's your best. Oh, God, that was pretty cool, but I can't speak real well. It doesn't make sense, but the excuses we give God don't make sense when you really think about it. God says, go. Moses says, I can't speak well. This is not humility. This is disobedience. Honestly, I think of my boys 
at bedtime when I think of Moses here. Here's what I mean. I tell them to go to bed and it never fails. One or both come out and have a million excuses why they can't fall asleep. No one's been there? Okay. I've been there often. I know they're tired. They know they're tired. This is the kicker. They are tired. But they just can't fall asleep. They need everything all of a sudden. All of a sudden, they need every possible human need at once. I'm scared of the dark. Your nightlight's on. We have nightlight. I'm scared of the dark. Nope, you have a nightlight. It's my youngest, Josiah. I'm thirsty. Okay, well, here, here's some water. There you go. Go to bed. I'm itchy. You ever got the I'm itchy one? Any parents ever get to, I, I'm itchy? All of a sudden, their whole body is like a rash. Like, I'm just itchy everywhere. Five minutes ago, we prayed. You went to the bathroom. You brushed your teeth. Nowhere did I'm itchy. Never was even an issue. You were playing. I'm not itchy. Go to bed. Man, I'm so itchy. This is crazy. So what do you do? You get the lotion out. Okay, dry skin. Here we go. I heard something. That's always a good one. I heard something. Well, son, we live in a house with other people that are still awake. We have a a heater that kicks on. It's windy. You're going to hear stuff. Okay? I'm hot. I'm cold. I love when both of them are different things. I'm hot. I'm cold. The house isn't that big. Like, you're one or the other. I forgot to give you a hug. Because that's exactly what I want to do with my sons when they come out this way is give them a hug. That's really... Mm, yes, please, son. I really want to give you a hug right now. 47th excuse. Yes. And to be honest, the reason we can laugh at this is because we know what it's like to have these kind of excuses. And this is Moses to God. There is a million excuses. And this is where God is not like us. God comforts him, gives him Aaron as a security blanket, and he is patient with Moses time and time again. To be honest, This is us too. We give God a million excuses, and God is so patient and gives us security blankets, and people surround us and encourage us and support us, and we have all these things we need because he's with us. But it's up to us, and we have to ask ourselves, are we just going to get started? Are we just going to get started? As we kind of wrap up this message and and talk about this day of getting started with a fresh start, Uh, The Lord has been impressing on me uh, the last few weeks, John chapter 14, verse 12. Um, And I believe this is a verse that kind of ties in with this idea of what we've been talking about this morning. But I believe it's kind of going to be our model verse for the year, for 2018 as a church. Uh, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And I want to key in on that last part of the verse and look at the last part of greater works than these. Now, obviously, this does not mean that we will do greater works than Jesus did in quality, but we are doing greater works in quantity. As the Holy Spirit indwells us, his church, we're able to do more of his work in more places. And I believe that we will see greater works in 2018 as a church. The Lord has been, and you can ask, a month ago, two months ago, I was sitting at the board and I told him, I said, guys, I don't know. I, just, I got this impression from the Spirit that we are going to see some great things in 2018. And this verse, John 14, 12, has just been racking my brain. I just couldn't get it off my heart or my mind. It's been it's, it's a constantly there. I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen before where this one verse seems to always be presenting itself. It's always coming up in different ways or different, different avenues. 
And to me, I want to see greater things this year for the Lord's glory. I want to see greater things that draw us closer to Christ. I want to see greater ways that the Spirit moves in our lives and in our homes and in our relationships. And I believe we can see greater things than we've ever seen as far as a church is concerned, but not just as a church, but as individuals. I believe you can see greater things in your home to his glory, not so that you can be glorified, but greater works that he is glorified. And I believe as we see that taking place in our lives, that people will see that in our lives. And it will draw people to an understanding of, man, what do you have that I, I don't? Why do you have such a peace, even in turmoil? You see, a greater things mentality doesn't mean greater abundance. If you want that, you can find out all about that on TV tonight. Just flip on any number of channels and you'll find all kinds of people telling you about all the abundance that you can get in Christ. The stuff. But I don't think that's the greater things that Jesus was talking I don't think he would make it that simple, that, that minor when he's talking about greater things, I think he's talking about greater things for his church. I think he's talking about greater things is the Holy Spirit moving into people's lives and getting surrender from people instead of people holding back things. I think people are going to be set free from addictions this year. I think people are going to realize that he can break every chain. There is no chain that can bind us when we are in Christ. And I believe that's the greater things that we are going to see as a church. And so this year, that's going to kind of be our model verse. We're going to be striving and asking the Lord, Lord, not because of us, but because of you, do greater things so that you are glorified. So that when people see your church, they glorify you, not the programs. When they see your church, they glorify you, not the band, not the preacher, not the soloist. But they glorify you in them. And I believe that's what we could see as a church. And so I just have to ask the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do greater things in your life than what he's already done? Do you think you can have greater freedom from that bondage that's been holding you back than what you've seen? I believe that's possible. But there's a key, and it's number one. We have to get started. We have to get started. We have to use what we have and stop trying to wish we had this and wish we had that and their talent and their abilities and their time and their resources. No, no, God has gifted you with who you are. So just step out and serve. There are some people that are stepping up and serving, and I'm so excited about it. But we have so many places that you could plug in. Where has God gifted you that you want to kind of feed back into the church? Man, just get excited, get started, use what you have, and do what only you can do, and watch God do what he can do. And I believe that we, we as a church, commit to greater things, we're going to see, again, addictions be broken, disciples made, people will be saved. It's going to be amazing. And not because of our timing. We're just going to sov or just wait on his sovereignty and say, God, whatever you want to do, we're ready and willing and able to step up and go. And so do you want to see greater things this year? Are you ready to get started? Here's what I want to do. We're going to have our invitation. And I want to do this. We're going to have a time of reflection and response. And so in just a minute, the band's going to come and, and play a song, and we're going to sing a song of worship together. And, but here's what I want to do. If you're just ready to get started, you're ready to stop making excuses, to stop being itchy, okay? That's going to be another one. I'm just going to throw that out. You guys, will, well, it'll be an inside thing. All of us will know what we're talking about. Any visitors will be like, itchy, and you'll be able to be like, ah, you should have been here last week, okay? It'd be great. Are you ready to stop making excuses 
Are you ready to get started? Use what you have and do what you can do. And if the answer is yes, then here's what I want you to do. When we stand in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward just to bend a knee and say, God, I want to see greater things. Not greater things in abundance, not greater things in stuff, which is such an immature way to look at it. But God, I want to see greater things to your glory. I want to see greater love in my life. I want to see greater peace in your comfort. I want to see greater relationships. I want to see greater uh, work for you as far as disciple making. I want to share my faith in greater ways. I'm going to serve the church with my gifts and abilities so that you are glorified in a greater way. So what is God leading you to do? Maybe you have something in your hand and you've been holding it so tight because you think you know better what you need to do with it than he does. I'm going to ask you to come forward this morning, just bend a knee at this altar and just lay it down and say, God, this is yours now. And whatever you want to do with it, it's yours. And so would you respond to him this morning as we pray? Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we believe in what you told us. This is not about us and our ability or positive thinking kind of stuff, Lord. It's about your word. Your word says that by your grace and your Holy Spirit that you will do greater things through your church than we could ever imagine. And so I pray that rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, that we would just get started and just believe what you said. Just do what you, and follow through with what you affirmed. So really, Lord, I guess what we're praying is, as we get started, we're just going to get out of your way. We're going to get started, we're going to surrender what's in our hands, and we're going to do what we can do, and we're going to allow you freedom to do what you do. And so, Father, maybe there's somebody in this room right now that has a sin issue, that they're presently living in a sin. Maybe they need to come and say, Lord, I repent of that. I receive your grace, your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me by the cross of Christ. And I ask that you would give me the strength to not submit to that sin again. Maybe there's somebody here that has repented of a sin years ago, but still the memory of it is haunting them. They don't think they can be used because they keep saying, who am I? Who am I? I pray, Lord, you'd show them that your grace has forgiven them. They are a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And instead of saying, who am I? you would give them the courage to say, here am I. That they'll go where you send them. They'll say which one I'm going to say. And they'll see great, greater things than they can imagine. Lord, may you be glorified in all these things because we need you to work in and through us. If anybody here doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray they come to know you before they leave this place, trusting in you for their forgiveness of sins, not in religion, good works, going to church but in the simplicity of believing that you died on the cross of our sins, were buried and rose again. Father, may you move, lead, guide, and direct as we get started. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As these guys lead us in a song of invitation, would you just come? If you're ready to get started, ready to surrender what's in your hand, just come and watch the Lord move as you respond to his leading this morning.